All right. Larry and Laura on the front row, so they'll get picked on. And, and you guys over here, guess what? You picked the perfect spot. So, yeah. That's a good thing, hopefully. It's, it's been a good thing, I think. They keep on sitting in the front row, row Reuben and Rachel, so I guess. May, you know, my, my dad has a thing for the second row. I noticed that. He just goes for the second row people. Right, Elena? <laughs> God is good. God is good. So actually, this is going to be a, a part two of what I preached last time. Um, and I'm going to do a quick review of that. Uh, last time I taught on the re- um, uh, abundant contentment. And so I talked on how to uh, establish contentment in your life. And contentment is a peaceful satisfaction, free from worry, free from anxiety, and free from restlessness. How many of you like some of that? (laughs) They're, They're not sure? All right. So we are in a constant state of learning. Every circumstance and every opportunity has the power to shape the way we think. Information and influence is bombarding us nonstop, and it is how we perceive and respond to this information ultimately determines how it will affect us. So guess what? You are learning all the time. Information is coming to you nonstop. Like, if I look at you funny, you're like, okay, what's going on? What does he think about? So you're always picking up information, right? And you're always perceiving it or evaluating it, and you're learning from it, right? So don't you think it's important that we take control of that and decide what will shape us and what what we won't allow to shape us? So let's turn to uh, Philippians 4, 11 through 13. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So like I said before, contentment means freedom from worry. It means freedom from anxiety and restlessness. It means peaceful satisfaction. But it also means independent of external circumstances, meaning my external reality does not have the power to control my internal reality. That is what contentment is. No matter what's going on around me, No matter what circumstance I face, I actually have power to control what happens inside of me. Thank you, Debbie. I appreciate that. But a lot of times we want to be a victim. A lot of times we want to blame everything else rather than our power to control ourselves. And I think something that's really awesome about this, but a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So the more you interact with the Spirit and have relationship with the Spirit, you're able to control yourself. That's interesting. A lot of times we think God wants to control us, but actually He wants us to control ourselves. All right, moving on. I'm not going to preach this. I have another sermon. 
This is why Paul can declare, I know how to be abased. I know how to bound. So no matter what the situation was, he could have that peaceful satisfaction. So no matter my external circumstance, my heart is able to remain content. And I am able to rule myself through Christ who strengthens me. Notice that that contentment was something that something Paul had to learn. What did he say? He said, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Say thank you, Jesus. <laughs> because most of us aren't there, right? So Paul is saying I had to learn it. Meaning... This was a process of maturity, of growth, development, and character through the work of the Holy Spirit. So if this is a work of the Holy Spirit, why do so many Christians struggle with realizing contentment? And this is what I actually preached on last week. So if you want to know what that is, go back and listen to it. But just a little teaser or a little, the issue was positioning. If we don't see the passage in full context, we'll miss that Paul explains the steps that he took to learn contentment. Which, was, which were to rejoice in the Lord always, interact with those around you with gentleness. Isn't that interesting? If you want to have inward peace, be kind to those around you. Yeah. It's revelatory, right? It's amazing. <laughs> Can you believe it? Prayer, supplication, meaning a seeking or following, or a, a seeking or an asking or an in, uh, inquiring, with thanksgiving, making your requests known. And he said, meditate on these things. What are these things? Good things, pure things, things of good report. And then it says, the God of peace will be with you. So if you want to hear that all in, in context, you can go back and listen to that. It's called, if you're looking at it online, it's abundant contentment. So, all right. But today, basically, I want to take that point from two weeks ago, and I want to kind of piggyback off of that or leapfrog from that, you know. So today I wanted to talk about learning from abundance. Learning from abundance. There's a lot of attention and value given to our ability to learn from pain, suffering, lack, difficult situations, and pressure. Right? You ever watch a sports movie? <laughs> you learn from pain. You learn from suffering. Right? Ever hear a sermon? You learn from pain. You learn from suffering. And what did I say earlier? We're always learning. So that's not a false statement, right? But I believe a kingdom lesson is he t that God teaches us through abundance, not pain. And I'm going to talk about that today. So um, the truth remains that God is able to reveal his goodness in any situation. In Romans 8, 28, you can see that all things work together for the good to those that love God and called according to his purpose. So no matter what situation we face, what is the end, what is the end uh, outcome? Good. That's what it says. Good. So as believers, we just don't have abundance. We walk with the person of abundance. It's not what we possess that gives us abundance, but who possesses us that ultimately provides us with true abundance. This is why Paul could boldly declare that he could do all things through Christ who strengthened him. 
Why? Because Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's sufficiency. Why was Paul able to be content in any situation, no matter what he faced? And guess what? We had bad days, right? You ever have a bad day, Harold? Yeah, okay. Your face just told me that you had a bad day, right? I remember that one time that you put on my, uh, what is the thing that I need to work on? And one of them was like my facial expressions. Yeah, that was probably the highest. I didn't vote, but that's what I was thinking. So just let you know that. That was a long time ago. Okay. Now we're what? Okay. So Paul's ability was dependent upon Christ's efficiency. So the things that Paul went through are nothing compared to what we go through. I mean, I'm not going to go into everything. But have, it, have you ever been stoned? No, no. We got some evil looks, right? <laughs> so Paul did not learn from the problem. He learned from the solution. I'm going to say that again. Paul did not learn from being abased. What did he learn from? That I can do all things. What was the revelation the revelation was, through Christ, I can do all things. Does this make sense? So his revelation did not come from being abased. It came from understanding of God's abundance in every situation. When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking will become cynical. Okay? When you learn from the problem itself, your thinking becomes cynical. Why does it become cynical? Because you're always looking for the problem. Because the lesson is in the problem. Are you guys seeing this? What is cynical thinking? Thinking the worst in every situation. So if we think our lessons come from problems, we're going to be looking for chaos. Does that make sense? And think about it, it's probably from a pure motive because you believe that I learn from pain, I learn from suffering, I learn from lack, so I need to find places to put myself in there so I can learn a lesson. Kind of reminds you of when people in the church would beat themselves. So when you learn from lack, you begin to see lack in every situation. When you learn from lack, your mindset will be twisted to see lack in everything around you. If pain is what shapes your thinking, you will see pain in every opportunity. See, Paul didn't learn from the pain. He learned from the revelation of God's abundance. Does this make sense? Because if you think about it, Paul would say, if Paul learned from pain, he would say, I don't think I want to go there because they're into stoning over there. Right? But if he learned from God's abundance, he says, my God shall supply all my needs. I can do all things through Christ. What did he learn from? The revelation of his abundance, not from the pain. Does this make sense? Like, have you ever hurt yourself in, like, I think most of us have been told not to think this way. God, what did I do wrong? I just fell down the steps. What happened, Lord? What did I say? 
like maybe you weren't coordinated at that moment <laughs> rather than like, oh, I, sh- I should have gave and I didn't. Maybe the washing machine is going to break this week. God's got to teach me a lesson through pain. But when you learn from God's abundance in the midst of the problem, you become hopeful. So when you learn from the problem, your thinking becomes cynical. When you learn from God's abundance, your thinking becomes hopeful. Does this make sense? So no matter what situation you're in, there's hope. Because you're learning from his abundance, you're not learning from the pain. So the result being, you begin to see his promises in everything. The lesson to be learned is not in the lack, but in the abundance. If we believe God's method of teaching us is through lack, through pain, through suffering, we will believe we need to remain in a place of lack to receive the lesson. If we believe that God teaches us through lack of finances, guess what? We're not going to feel right if we're bringing in the money. It's like we believe the lesson is in the experience of the pain. The lesson is in the experience of the lack. How do I want? Basically, suffering does not lead to salvation. Actually, there was a, a thing on Facebook, and they were like, "Well, Jim Carrey said something Christian," and and I went and read what he said, and you're like, he basically said, "Salvate or suffering leads to salvation." No, no, it doesn't. Jesus suffered so that we could have a free gift of salvation. But we think that sometimes. My suffering leads to my breakthrough. If you want to believe that, that you can. <laughs> I choose not to. John 10, 10. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and then they may have it more abundantly. And I talked a little bit about this last time, but if you are in a situation, whose name is on it? Is it stealing? Is it killing? Is it destroying? Whose name is on it? But if it is life and life more abundantly, whose name is on it? Does this make sense? Life in the Hebrew means of the absolute fullness of life, both essential and ethical, meaning both physical and moral. When he promises us life, it's in our physical body, but it's in our soul, in our morality. It also means life real and genuine, a life active and vigorous, devoted to God, blessed in the portion even in this world of those who put their trust in Christ. So life to the fullest is in our body, 
It's in our spirit and it's in our souls. Total wholeness is promised to us. But it also refers to the promise of eternity. Can you say to the full? So when it comes to life more abundantly, Jesus has put his name on it. Have you ever wondered why in the name of Jesus be healed? Why? Because his name's on it. Because he's promised it. So total healing of your body, restoration of the soul, and life that is passionately, passionately devoted to God. So I find a real disconnect between learning from lack and being adopted by a father that is abundant in all good things. Do you see the disconnect? James 1.17, every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. James clearly states that if it's good and if it's perfect, perfect meaning wanting nothing necessary to completeness, comes from above. I love that, perfect meaning wanting nothing necessary to completeness. What is that saying? He shall supply all your needs. You will not want, you will not want nothing. Now, I'm not suggesting that we won't experience, experience difficult and painful situations. What I'm suggesting is that in the midst of those circumstances, we have a never-ending well of resources through Christ who strengthens us. In the Word, it says we're going to experience tribulations. We're going to experience things. We're going to experience difficult times. I love the one where it's like, I said these things, or, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You'll experience tri tribulation, but be of good cheer. Isn't that saying there's a difference between my external reality and my internal reality? So the lesson is not in the problem, it's in the solution. The lesson is not in the lack, it's in the abundance. The lesson is not in the pain, it's in the restoration. If we believe the lesson is in the problem, we will be on the lookout for problems. Rather than always being on the lookout for Christ in every situation. In Philippians 4, Paul makes a connection between our contentment, our, that peaceful satisfaction, and our eyes. What has our attention? In the midst of problems, what has your attention? So he, he connects the two, being free from worry, being free from anxiety, being free from restlessness, and where your eyes are looking. So in the midst of your problem, what has your attention? So if you're not free from worry, you have to say, where are my eyes looking? Make sense? 
if we're in a, if we're in a, I don't want to say season, but if we're in a time where we're lacking something, is our attention on the lack, which is going to cause worry, anxiety, fear, restlessness, sleepless nights? Or is our attention on God's sufficiency in the midst of every situation? This is why Jesus was sleeping when the storm was going on. Because his internal reality was totally different than what was happening around him. So like I said before, there will be problems. There will be difficult situations. There will be pain. But, just erase what I just said, but his sufficiency is enough for every situation. So in the midst of lack, what has our attention? In the midst of pain, what has our attention? See, if our attention is on the pain of the past, when an open door comes, you're thinking, what pain is ahead of me right now? Are we allowing the kingdom to shape us or the problem? If we, are, if we are not aware, everything and anything will shape us. This is why we rule our inward selves. A lesson that pain likes to teach us is to not trust people. Have you ever learned that lesson from pain? Pain likes to teach you that. Don't trust people. No, no, no. They're going to hurt you again. Don't put yourself out there. That's a lesson that pain will teach you. Have you ever learned that lesson? All of us can raise our hands, right? But his abundance of grace leads us to forgiveness and strength. What lesson do you think the kingdom is teaching us? So was the kingdom life lesson in the pain or in the grace? Guess what? We can learn from pain. I'm not saying that you can't. I'm saying, what do we want to shape us? Make sense? Don't you love it when I preach? Because I just go right to the thing, right? A lesson that suffering can teach us is that it must be my fault that I'm experiencing this. Has suffering ever taught you that? You know, I must have done something to deserve this. That's why I'm suffering. But his abundance of love shows us that we have been called to abundant life that is free from condemnation. So was the kingdom life lesson in the suffering? Or was it in the freedom to fully express the life promised to us in Christ? What do you think the kingdom was teaching us? And I'm going to kind of make this point later. But if we believe God is teaching us in suffering, we will stay there. A lesson that lacks likes to teach us that you are responsible to meet your own needs by your own strength. You know what lack teaches you? If anybody's going to do it, it has to be me. 
because no one else is going to do it but me. I have to take care of myself. That's what lack teaches you. But what does the kingdom teach us? His abundant power within us teaches us that he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. What do you think the life, what do you think the kingdom lesson was? The lack or his abundant provision? Does this make sense? I think, I truly believe that pretty much most everybody in here believes what I'm saying. Okay, But sometimes we have to be reminded because sometimes it's easy to fall into these lies. So much attention is given to the problem in our society that it can become easy to slip into this type of thinking as believers. So much attention in our society is given to the problem. Ever go on the internet? Ever go on the news? Ever talk to anybody? (laughs) But I make a distinction here. We can slip into this type of thinking as believers, meaning that type of thinking does not coincide with believing. Because by his grace, we are hopeful. By his power, we are hopeful. Good, the best is yet to come as a believer. Does this make sense? I'm not saying it's not easy to fall into that thinking. Because it can be. But I'm saying if we are a believer... That means that we believe what he is saying. I know it's revolutionary right now what I'm saying. If we're a believer, that means we believe. Let's just soak on that a little bit, right? It means we believe. We believe what he is saying. We believe in his abundance of grace. We believe in his salvation as a free gift. This is a quote that I got from Bill Johnson. It's actually from the worship series this week. So if you would like to come hear the rest of it, we have it after church. What time? One something. One-ish, 115-ish. So here's a quote from it. Larry will probably know this one because it came from his section of, uh, faith does not deny a problem's existence. It denies it a place of influence. So I'm not, like I said, I'm not saying that there won't be a problem. I'm not saying that there won't be pain. I'm not saying that there won't be tragedy. I'm not saying that there won't be difficult situations. But what I'm saying is, Will we allow it to have the type of influence to shape us rather than the voice of God? So I just want to give you a quick practical tip. Um, I'm a person that, this is going to sound funny, but I'm a person that thinks. So I'm one that processes, meaning 
I see something and I try to assess and solve in my mind, okay? You know, core, uh, what are they called? Core, ad- not value, uh, the, the thing that mom does, whatever. Yeah, CBI, whatever. So I'm really high in that. So I have a history of a lot of thing problems going on in my mind. And I'm trying to assess them and solve them. And sometimes I'm trying to assess and solve them when I have no power to even solve them. Okay. So a tip that, or something that God spoke to me is he said, write it down. So it leaves your mind and leave it there. And if you need to go back and see what you wrote, go back and see it. But don't return if you don't have to. So there was something that was bothering me that it was just going, like for two days, I was like, it was going all in my mind. And I just, well, I didn't write it down. I spoke it into my phone, okay? (laughs) The same thing, really. (laughs) He didn't tell me to physically write it down, but. So I spoke it into the phone. And ever since then, it's like I got it out of me. And now it wasn't, it wasn't constipated in my mind. <laughs> right? You like that visual? Uh, um. So I was able to let it go. Another thing is, and I've done this before, is to talk it out. Okay? Now I will say this. If it's with someone else, you need to talk to the person that it's about. I'm not suggesting gossip as a form of therapy. <laughs> I'm saying you need to talk it out. If there's an issue, you need to talk to the person. But the point is to get that thing out of your mind. So if there's something that's going on and on and on, just write it down. You know, or if it's something at work and, you know, Larry's like, Laura, I just need to talk to you about it. And then it's just just a release of it. So that was just a practical thing. So we need to stop looking for the lesson in the problem and start looking for the promise in his overwhelming abundance. Matthew 14, 15. When it was evening, his disciples came to him saying, this is a deserted place. Only one S. It's not a deserted place. With Okay, never mind. <laughs> like it's Candyland. Uh, this is a deserted place. All right, and the hour is already late, meaning if we don't get out of here, TGI Fridays is going to be closed. They're the, like the last ones, right? Or Applebee's. Applebee's is like one of the last ones. If we don't get out of here, you know, we're not going to get nothing. Send the multitude away that they may go into the villages and buy themselves food. So the deserted place, with one S, what are they saying? This is a place where they cannot have their need met. Right? This is a place where they're unable to meet their need. But I find this interesting. In this verse, or in this passage, they just witnessed God or Jesus healing everyone that was sick. And they're saying they must go because this is a place where their need cannot be met. Mm 
Sometimes we got to learn it a couple times, right? Sometimes we just don't get it. So they say, send them away to meet their own need. But Jesus had another plan. What did I say before? That the kingdom teaches us through abundance. So Jesus had a lesson to teach. And another telling of this encounter, Jesus asked Philip, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? So Jesus says to Philip, where can I buy bread to feed these people? And in John 6, 6, but he said this to test him for he himself knew what he would do. Did Jesus ever ask you a question like that? I'm asking you, but I already know what I'm going to do. But what is he doing? He's seeing where Philip's understanding is. Right? Where can we get bread to feed these people? And then in verse uh, John 6, 7, Philip revealed, so this is his understanding, or Philip uh, replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Was that a true statement? Yes. Did a problem exist? Yes. <laughs> Matthew 14. So back to Matthew. Matthew 14, 16 through 18. But Jesus said to them, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. There's 5,000 people. Now, let me just say this. We have fed people for a thing called ETE, and that was 100 people. Jesus was asking them to do something that was really impossible. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, we have, we have here only five loaves and two fishes. He said, bring them to me. Now that's where it starts, right? Listen, Lord, all I have right now is five loaves and two fish. Bring them to me. But what is he trying to teach him? Give me what you have and watch what I will do. So was the lesson in the lack or was it in the abundance? It's possible that the five loaves and two fishes were just enough to fulfill the needs of the disciples. Mark 6, 31, this is another telling of this. And he said to them, Come aside by yourselves to a deserted place and rest a while. So who chose to go there? Jesus. Because it was pretty hectic where they were. We need to go. And then what does it say? For there were many coming and going, and they did not even have time to eat. So why did they go to the deserted place? To, to separate and to eat. If you're, going to some, if you're going to a place to eat, what do you bring with you? Five loaves and two fish. 
Does this make sense? So when Jesus said, give me what you have, he was saying, give me what you have that you brought to fulfill your own need. Notice that this lesson in abundance is predicated on the disciples giving all what they had. Jesus is saying, if you're willing to give me what is proportioned to you to fulfill your need, I will then multiply it and feed 5,000. And there will be more than enough left over. So there was a real problem But what was Jesus teaching them? That when you give, when you obey, there will be abundance. Luke 5, 4 through 6. When he stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So Peter's first response was one of experience. What did I say? When we learn from lack, we will see everything through that lens. So Jesus said, go out and put your nets out again. And he said, we did this all last night. And we caught nothing. So he learned from the experience. Which in this case was lack. So this was really his reality. But in the same breath, he says, nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. This shows that there was something that spoke to Peter's heart when Jesus was teaching that established trust, honor, and respect within Peter. Peter addresses Jesus as master, not from the fact he was a teacher, but because he recognized Jesus' authority. So notice in these two examples, with the feeding the 5,000 and the letting down their nets, that these two examples where kingdom abundance was demonstrated as notice in these two examples where kingdom abundance was demonstrated there was a recognition and submission to the authority of Jesus and when they had done this they caught a great number of fish and their net was breaking talk about an introduction into the kingdom of god In your own strength, you caught nothing. But as you cast your net down, they were so full that the net was breaking. So his first lesson in the kingdom was one of trust and abundant harvest. His previous reality was one of lack, but when he transitioned into the kingdom, it was through a revealed understanding of abundance. It's important that we challenge lessons that we have learned through the lens of pain, suffering, and difficulty, and lack. 
When we learn from pain, we carry the baggage of it. So a little challenge is, do I believe this because of the pain? Or do I believe this because of his restoration? Do I believe this because of lack? Or do I believe this because of his abundance grace? So like I said, I just want to challenge some thought processes. If we allow lack to be a lesson giver, we will be afraid to be generous and choke out the sower. When we believe the lesson is in the lack, we will begin to believe that God will remove his presence from us to teach us something. Now, this one's a big one. This was actually something that I've been processing for the past couple months, or maybe even longer. I just really couldn't get it out in a sermon. But this is something that I want to take a little time to talk about. When we believe the lesson is in the lack, we will begin to believe that God will remove his presence from us to teach us something. Because wouldn't it be great if the pastor got up and said, how many of you want to uh, get closer with God? Yeah, yeah. What I need you to do is stop spending time with him. And when he starts speaking, turn the TV on because you got to really drown that out. And then when you realize how much you need him, then that's the revelation. It's silly. But we accuse God of saying, oh, we accuse God of, oh, he'll remove himself to teach me something. Doesn't make sense. Not only do we have the promise, that covenantal promise that he'll never leave us nor forsake us, but he is committed to us and seeing the fulfillment of what he's promised to us in our life come to fruition. Now, let me say this. Is it possible to feel distant from his manifested presence? Yes. So I want to get into that just a little bit. In the natural, in the natural, well, I won't go there. Okay. Is it possible to feel spiritually dry? Yes. Is it possible to feel distant from the presence of God? Yes. Just because it's possible doesn't make it biblical. Biblical meaning that spiritual drought, lack, or separation is part of a planned journey in an effort to bring us closer to God. I would say in my most difficult times, I felt God's presence the most. Now in my soul, he felt far, but in my spirit, I knew he was right there. He never left me. And so a lot of times people will say, I don't feel him, so he must not be near. He is near. And so there's, and that's kind of like a whole nother sermon of why we can experience times like this. But I remember talking to people and say, I've been spiritually dry for five years. No, there's something wrong. (laughs) There's a disconnect. Like I said, it can happen. But I think that there are other things going on 
Well, I, I just haven't been able to hear God this week. Well, how has your sleep been? I haven't been able to sleep. We're spirit, soul, and body. Well, I haven't felt God. Oh, um, something tra tragic happened. Yeah, your soul is connected. It's all connected. But he will never leave us. He's always there for us. His presence is always available. It's true that the prodigal son experienced lack. How many of you know he experienced lack? When you're eating with the pigs, <laughs> there's something going on, right? But on every occasion, the father taught his son through abundance. Hey, father, um, I want all my inheritance now. Here it is. He goes, he wastes it, and he thought, hey, if I'm just a servant in the house, this is better than where I'm at. When he comes back, we see the father embrace with love and acceptance and celebration to kill the fatted calf. What was the lesson every time that he teaches us through abundance? But there was also a personal responsibility element with it, right? That he removed himself. Does this make sense? All right. When Jesus would tell a parable, it was in the effort to explain what the kingdom looked like. So when Jesus said this parable, this is what the kingdom looks like. A father that teaches and instructs with abundance. John 10.10, 10, the thief does not, does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So it would be against his nature to lead us into lack. Okay. It would be against his nature to lead us into lack. Well, wait, wait, wait a second. Wait a second. Wait a second. Didn't the Holy Spirit lead Jesus into the wilderness? Hmm. Have you ever wondered why Jesus was led into the wilderness? My thought is it's where the enemy was. The enemy was in a place of lack. The enemy was in a place of desolation. The enemy was in a place of barrenness. The enemy was in a place of lack. Did Jesus' internal reality match his external circumstance? So the question is, the statement that I made is, it would be against his nature to lead us into a place of lack. In Luke 4, 1 through 2. Then Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan River. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness where he was tempted by the devil for 40 days. Jesus ate nothing at all at that time and became very hungry. So his external reality was barrenness. It was lack. It was the wilderness, right? But what did it start out by saying? 
that he was full of the Spirit. Are you guys seeing this? His external reality was barren and lacking, but his inward was full and abundant. Isn't this kind of what Paul was referring to? Doesn't matter whatever state I'm in, I'm able to remain content. Why? Because it's Christ's sufficiency. I'm full of the Spirit. Does this make sense? Luke 4, 3 through 4. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him, saying, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word of God. I like it. Every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So the enemy confronts a place of lack within Jesus. It said he was hungry. And really, that's probably one of the only places that Jesus could experience lack. Jesus was tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Jesus subjected himself to a place of lack so that we could come out victorious. Jesus answered reveals to us what true abundance looks like. I may not have eaten. Because why did the enemy say, turn these stones to bread? Because Jesus was hungry. Did Jesus have the power to do it? Yes. But what does he say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. So, even though Jesus' body was hungry, he was feasting on other things. What was he feasting on? Every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Is this making sense? So, so suggesting that to be, to be, to live a life full of abundance is to feed on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. There's another example. How many of you know when Jesus uh, ministered to the woman at the well? And so he was alone with the woman, right? Why was he alone? Because he sent the disciples to go into town to get food. So he's in there and things are moving, right? She's getting revelation. The kingdom of God is happening. And they come back and they're like, Jesus, here's the food. He's like, uh, I'm eating a food that you not, I can't remember how all it goes because I didn't, this is kind of the spur of the moment, but he's basically, I'm full. And the disciples are like, well, who gave him food? Like, did you give him food? Right? He said, I'm filled. So this passage of scripture clearly shows us how to respond when we are confronted with lack, with pain, difficulty, so that we can walk in abundance provided for us in Christ. If you are experiencing pain or if you are experiencing lack, the first thing is be full of the spirit. Second thing is confront the enemy. 
Because you're in that place of lack, you're experiencing this, but because you're full of the Spirit, you're able to confront the enemy with confidence. And it's not like we're confronting the enemy with our own strength. How did Jesus confront the enemy? With the Word of God. So when you're full of the Spirit, you can say what God is presently saying, but you can also say what He already said. Does this make sense? This is really important because if we believe that it's part of God's nature to teach us from a place of lack, we won't have any power to confront the enemy. Basically, we're putting God's name on the devil's work. Why would you resist if you believe it's God? If you're struggling with an illness, well, and you believe, well, God is teaching me something. <laughs> Our God is the God of abundance. When we walk with him, he leads us into abundance. Stealing, killing, and destroying is not a method in which he uses to teach us a lesson. His name is written on a full and abundant life. His heart is set on abundance. So why don't everybody just bow your heads? I just want to decree this over you. This is what uh, Paul spoke over the Romans. But right now I decree that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in him then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit, bubbling over with hope and to overflow with confidence in his promises. Lord, right now, I just decree that that lie that I'm experiencing these things because I'm being taught a lesson is broken right now in the name of Jesus. And I decree that we're coming into a place of understanding what it means to love, be loved by an abundant father. And Lord, I break off that stronghold right now. Any area, any area where we feel like I'm learning a lesson through difficulty, I'm learning a lesson through pain, I'm learning a lesson through lack, rather than recognizing your abundance of grace, your abundance of love. God, right now, I just decree just a washing of our mind, just a cleansing, that refreshing that we spoke about even today. Lord, I just decree it and release it right now that, Lord, we shall walk in the abundance that you have promised to us in Jesus' name. Amen.